Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, these are fairly uh, stern words from Jesus to us and about who ultimately will be saved one day. There are two parts here. The first part is watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look woolly, they look fun, they look attractive. But inside they're like ferocious wolves. And then the second part that Jesus deals with here is is who actually will be saved. Who really will find themselves in heaven one day. And I want to deal with this passage backwards. We're first going to deal with who's going to find themselves in heaven one day and then look at what Jesus said about false prophets. Because I think if we take this part seriously, it will help us. Do you want me to switch mics? Problem. Thank you very much. Right, where were we? Okie dokes. So let's look at verse 21 together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will come to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. One of the false teachings that's going around today is that one day everybody is going to be saved. For some it will just be a longer journey than for others. The Catholics treat the, teach the idea of purgatory. In other words, true saints go straight from this early life, do not pass go, straight to heaven. But for the vast majority of people, if you're not a saint in the Catholic understanding, then you need to go via purgatory, which is hell light. And you stay there for however long you need to stay there until God works out all the sin and carnality in you, which is going to take a long time. And then eventually you too will land up in heaven. That's what the Catholics teach. 
Former evangelical Rob Bell and his book Love Wins teaches the same thing. That God is so loving, God is so kind, God is so merciful that at the end of the day, by hook and by his crook, everyone's going to make it to heaven. Yes, you might go via Muhammad, you might go via Buddha, but we're all going to get there at the end of the day. This is so foreign to what Jesus actually taught. Last week, Roland expounded the, the, the previous chapter about the two roads. And we're told that most people are on the road to lead to destruction. And few people are on the road that leads to life. It's the complete twisting around of Jesus' words to say that everybody's going to be saved at the end of the day. Jesus juxtaposes the words many and few in these verses. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. Many are on the road to destruction, but few are on the road to eternal life. Don't buy into that false teaching that we're all going to get to heaven one of these days. And then we need to look at the second thing here in verse 21. Jesus teaches us here that clearly many people think they are Christians, but they are not. Jesus says on the day of judgment, many people are going to come on that day, the day of judgment, and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do X, Y, and Z for you? Calling Jesus Lord doesn't make you a Christian. Praying to Jesus, having some kind of interaction with Jesus, Lord, Lord, there's deference there, there's respect. It doesn't make you a Christian. Many people who've called him Lord will not be in heaven one day. Furthermore, people are going to be very surprised because they're going to say, but Lord, I wasn't just a normal Christian. I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons and I performed many miracles. We might think anybody capable of doing these things is a pretty mature Christian. We might think that, but we'd be wrong. Jesus says many people will come on that day. They'll have called me Lord. They will have done things in Jesus' name. And Jesus is going to say to you, not I did know you when you were doing that stuff, but then you fell away. He's going to say, I never knew you. And he calls them evildoers. So friends, don't be taken in by everybody that claims the name of Jesus. It's a little bit more complicated than that. So there's Jesus on who exactly will be saved one day. And the question that comes to my mind is that why wouldn't people just stick with the truth? Why do people misunderstand, bring false teaching. Jesus warns us, even those that perform great signs and miracles may be false messiahs, false prophets. 
Let's come now to the conclusion of the second part. We ought to watch out for false prophets. And that's something we actively do. It's not just we get on with our lives and then maybe a false prophet crosses our path. No, he says, watch out for this. Watch out for those who distort God's truth. Watch, watch out for those that claim an authority above God's word. Watch out for people who, who would introduce new ideas and new doctrines. Because false teaching at the end of the day hurts people. Who might Jesus have in mind here when he warns us against false prophets? I could think of quite a few examples. Here we go. Firstly, he's probably alluding to, to the false prophets of the Old Testament. And there were many people in the Old Testament period who were self-appointed prophets. And they claimed to speak for God and to bring God's word to God's people. And Jeremiah 23 is a passage against the false prophets. Jeremiah 23 verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. False prophets always bring good news. At the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was prophesying and saying, God says he's going to punish Israel. And you're going to go into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Repent. Get right with God. And there was a whole army of false prophets who said, Jeremiah, you're wrong. What do you know? What you're saying is not from the Lord. They locked him up in the temple, put him in the stocks. Everybody had a good laugh at him. The false prophets were saying, yes, God is a little bit cross, but not going to be 70 years. We'll be back in a few months. False prophets, sometimes they outnumber the true prophets. Jeremiah 23 verse 21 goes on, I did not send these people, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully, says the Lord. So when Jesus speaks about false prophets, he's talking about the false prophets of the Old Testament who, who would continue into the New Testament era. People claiming they have a message from God. Paul writes in Galatians, he says, even if an angel appears to you and brings you some new message, even if it's an angel, don't believe it if it contradicts the gospel that I spoke to you. There were priests in the Old Testament too who were false teachers I alluded and read this passage some weeks ago, Malachi 2. The prophet says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction. But verse 8, You have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. 
So when Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, he's, he's, he's warning us against false teachers in the church. The Pharisees may have been on Jesus' mind when he said, watch out for false teachers, prophets. They were the leaders of the people, the council of the elders. Jesus says, what you're teaching You've let go of the commands of God, and you're holding to the traditions of man. That's what the Pharisees did. It goes on, verse 9, you have a fine way, note the sarcasm, a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to do what you want to do. The Pharisees fit the bill of being false teachers, I've already read this verse about false messiahs, people that are going to claim they're Jesus back in the flesh. And we've seen many of those over the years, people saying, I'm Jesus, I'm the Holy Spirit, I'm back, follow me. Jesus warns us, don't be taken in by these false messiahs. He says when he comes back, there's going to be no doubt it's him. If you have to think, gee, is this Jesus, you don't have to worry, it's not. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. Jesus is also clearly establishing his church and he's warning us about false teachers that would challenge the church in the years to come, and they did come, and in their droves. People like the Gnostics that came into the church and said, you guys have got it all wrong. There's the secret little uh, clue to being a Christian, this key to unlocking everything, this knowledge, secret knowledge, and if you come to our meetings, I'll share it with you. There were heresies about the nature of Christ, the deity of Christ, what the gospel was. False teachers threatened the church. So Paul has to write to Timothy, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Peter warns the church against false prophets. Just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament time, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. Verse 2, many will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. They have followed the way of Balaam. You can read about that somewhere in the Old Testament. Even Paul, before he leaves Ephesus in his farewell address to the elders of the Ephesian church, says, I know that when I leave... Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort 
the truth. Why don't people like the truth? What is the motive behind being a false prophet? Why do people do it? Because they've been doing it for centuries. And they're doing it today on a massive scale. What's motivating false prophecy and false teaching? I've got seven ideas that I want to share with you. What I believe motivates false prophecy and false teaching. I think number one, ignorance. Sometimes people say crazy stuff because they actually don't know any better. Timothy writes, some have wandered from the faith and have turned to, to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Friends, this is a very innocent motive for, for teaching the wrong thing. Maybe it's done with the best will in the world. But there are those who want to be teachers who do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Paul alludes to this as well, 1 Timothy 6, about a false prophet or a false teacher that might teach false doctrines. They are proud, conceited, and he says they he is conceited and understands nothing. Paul had very harsh words for false teachers. I think the second thing that drives a false prophet is human pride and independence. That desire to define things for ourselves, to define truth for ourselves. In my view, this is the defining characteristic of the, the era in which we're living in today. We've witnessed the loss of absolute truth, the loss of objective truth. Now we have this is true for you, that's great, this is true for me, that's also great, even if they're contradictory ideas. Truth used to be something that corresponded to reality. It's, it's now acceptable to culturally define truth as you want it. Have you noticed how politicians don't lie anymore? They must speak. When, when, when Trump blatantly lies about something, no, he's sharing alternative facts. There, there's been a, a, a move away from truth that everybody gets to define reality as they see it, as they perceive it, as they want it to be. We've seen this in, in many instances. One of the, the big things at the moment is people declaring themselves to be other genders. There, there, are, there are men serving time in female prisons in the United States with women prisoners because they've said they're actually women. And, and that gets honored. Some of them are doing it because you get better conditions that way. Here's a person who grew up as a man, who went through puberty as a man, who developed male uh, bone structure and, and male muscles. 
and then decided, no, actually, he feels like he's a woman, and went, to, went on to win recently a, a women's cycling championship. This was in California. This was lauded as a great thing. I just feel very sorry for the two, the two women there that had to compete with a man pretending to be a woman. Here's another example of how we've lost all reality when it comes to truth. Here's a Dutch man. He's 69 years old, but he feels like he's 49. I mean, wouldn't we all want to be 21 again or whatever it is? He has launched a legal battle to get his passport changed that says he's 20 years younger. It'll be, he, it'll be interesting to see how he fares with that. If so, we can all give it a go. <laughs> I mean, now we can have 14-year-olds self-declaring they're 18 to get a driver's license. I mean, uh, this whole thing, this desire to define truth for ourselves. Think back to the Garden of Eden. The woman knows God has said, do not eat from the tree, because she even reiterates that to, to Satan. The Lord has said, we may not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. But then we read, but the woman saw, verse 6, that the fruit of the tree was good. It was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. So yes, she's heard what God has said via Adam, but she now wants to define what's right and wrong for herself. That's what got us all into the mess we're in today. She said, I hear you, God, but I want to decide for myself, and I'm deciding this is actually a good thing. And Adam stood passively by and didn't say, Oh, Eve, my dear, please don't do that. It'll be a terrible mistake. He kept it zipped, and here we are. <laughs> Sometimes there's false teaching in the church because people want to justify a sinful lifestyle. 2 Timothy 4, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Friends, if you want to find a theologian that agrees with you about whatever it is that you want to find a theologian to agree with you about, you will find one. And he or she will have a PhD. There are even... Christian theologians that do not believe in God. There are priests running churches that belong to the Society for Anglican Atheist Clergy. I don't know if that's been disbanded, but there was a group of them. But to suit their own desires, churches that are today performing marriages for, for gay couples... They're doing that because that's what they want to do, and they'll find people to do it for them. It's, it's false teaching. Another reason for false teachers today and false prophets is the desire for popularity, the desire for, to be popular. 
Many churches and pastors today are in pursuit of big congregations because that usually comes with a big paycheck. And so there are many churches today where pastors will not talk about certain things. They won't talk about hell. They won't talk about the exclusivity of Christ in terms of salvation. They won't say that homosexuality is wrong. They won't tell couples that if you're living in sin, you can't be a Christian. People watered down the gospel to, to be popular, to be acceptable, and the world loves it. And there are many churches today where on a Sunday, all you get is a motivational talk. And if a non-Christian can say, yay, that was an awesome sermon, and they are not Christians, there's something seriously wrong. Here's Joel Osteen's church. As you can see, it's quite big, and he does pretty well for himself. He's in Texas. But Joel is one of those people who, in my opinion, is not preaching the true gospel. And that's why the world and the crowds love him. Self-interest, fifthly, drives false teaching. Right up there with being popular is being rich. And many false teach, much false teaching is driven by greed. Think of the great health and wealth preachers of our day. Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, and the list goes on. Here's old Creflo going on YouTube begging for money to upgrade his jet. He said if Jesus was here today, do you really expect him to travel economy class or why should I? I've been very encouraged by this man. His name is Costi Hinn, and he is Benny Hinn's nephew. And for many, many years, he traveled with Benny Hinn around the world in those healing crusades. And he has seen the light. And he has gone on record in interviews talking about the, the, the shameful things that he and his family got up to. The hotels they stayed in. The, the lavish lifestyles they lived. Listen to what he said in the one interview. This is Benny Hinn's nephew, part of the, the family. Growing up in the Hinn family empire was like belonging to some hybrid of the royal family and the mafia. Our lifestyle was lavish. Our loyalty was enforced, and our version of the gospel was big business. Though Jesus Christ was still part of our gospel, he was more of a magic genie than the king of kings. Rubbing him the right way by giving money and having enough faith would unlock your spiritual inheritance. God's goal was not his glory, but our gain. His grace was not to set us free from sin, but to make us rich. The abundant life he offered wasn't eternal. It was now. We lived the prosperity gospel. And what makes the prosperity gospel so bad, I can think of two things. Number one, it actually is not the gospel. 
Because the moment you tell people, if you want God's favor on your life, you must do X, Y, and Z, you've missed the gospel. Because the true gospel is that we can have God's favor on our lives because of what Jesus did on the cross. We don't have to give money to earn God's favor, to unlock every, any spiritual blessing. We've already been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So there's a distortion of the gospel. It, it adds good works to the gospel. It's, it's no different from Tetzel raising money for the Catholic Church to build St. Mark's in Venice. Plop some money in this plate and, and one of your relative's souls will leave purgatory early, was the message. But the second thing that is so terrible about prosperity preachers is that these wealthy Americans jet in to some poor nation, hoover up everybody's loose cash and money in the name of now you getting God's blessing and, and go and live it up like kings. It would be theft in any other a term, but this is theft in the name of Jesus and supposedly for his glory. Just go onto the internet and Google where prosperity preachers live and how they, how they live. Wow. Another reason for false messiahs developing, false teachers, is the desire to control other people. This is a very powerful desire. This is what gives birth to cults, Christian science, Scientology, whatever it is. Here are a few examples where you take people away with them and you, you brainwash them and you tell them the, you're the Messiah and finally they drink the Kool-Aid and it's all over. Demons are behind false teaching. Paul tells us, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Friends, let's watch out for false prophets. They come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. How can we identify a false prophet? Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. By their fruit, you will recognize them. What is this fruit that we're meant to be looking out for in, in people's lives? We need to look at their lives holistically, not just what they're saying. Do they have godly character? Do, is their behavior godly? But more than that, well, this is what godliness is. Is that Christ-like character I see? Is that how Jesus lived? Is this Christ-like behavior? That's one of the ways you tell who a false prophet is. You look at their life and how they're living and the, the outcome of that way of life. Not just for them, it's, it's often quite good for them. Secondly, by... By faithfully studying God's Word. Faithfully studying God's Word is how we can know whether a person is teaching the truth or not. God's Word, the written Word, 
is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. It doesn't matter what you feel in your heart or what you think or who said what. The Christian faith is a is something based on revelation. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and training and correcting. And it is by faithfully studying God's Word and knowing what God's Word says that will keep you from false doctrine and falling for the wiles of false teachers. We need to be like the Bereans that we read about in Acts 17. They received Paul's message with great eagerness. And they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. And when we are studying God's Word to see if what is being said is true, Paul says, that we must do our best to present ourselves to God as one approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. We need to be, as Paul says, he said to Timothy, preach the word. Why do we need to preach the word? Because of verse 3, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. It is the word of God that guides us. The defining principle of Protestantism, yes, was by faith alone we are saved. But it was also that scripture is the final authority for all matters. Not the church, not this one or that one, but God's written word. And finally, do not be taken in by false prophets and false teaching. We need to be humble and accountable. Paul also writes to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In conclusion, friends, watch out for false prophets. They come to you like sheep. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. And finally, please remember, not everyone who names the name of the Lord is saved. Many will come on that day and say, but I did this, and I did that, and I did it all in your name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you, you evildoer. Father God... Thank you for your word. Thank you for this sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you that we've been able to look at a small part of it today. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this auditorium who thinks they're a Christian, but who are not, in your eyes, that you, Lord, would bring conviction and bring correction. For you said, Lord, it's not what we say that matters. It's he who does the will of the Father. Lord, may every last one of us in this congregation be one of yours. 
And we pray too, Lord, that you would keep us from false doctrine and from falling for the the authority and influence of false prophets. Help us to be like the Bereans, to search the Scriptures every day to see if what is being taught is in there. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's the end of our service. Thank you.